if you're getting into this business, you want to basically determine your risk profile. If you want to go, you know, like Neil said, direct private lending where you're doing the odd deal and you're lending direct to a particular client, you can do that. Or you can basically let us do it and invest in a pool of different mortgages, geographically diversified, diversified across several different loan types as well. And rest easy knowing that you have, you know, collateral backing all of the loans that we put out and your investment and and interest stays safe uh, as a result. Thanks for tuning in to the Canadian Private Lenders Podcast, the show about starting a private lender in Canada, the mortgage industry, and the real estate industry. Your hosts are Neil Andrino and Ryan McNeil. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. This is episode four of the Canadian Private Lenders Podcast. Jump in there, Neil. I'm going to hit you with the, with the conspiracy right now because I had this. I had a lunch with some bankers last week, and his conspiracy was he's like, they're not trying to slow the market. He felt that they were genuinely trying to make a correction. He's like, you know, everyone says they're trying to get inflation down 2% and this and that. He felt that the Canadian real estate market had gone too far off the rails and they were genuinely going after a correction. He said, this is not a slowdown. He said they f- he feels that they need to cut it back and they're purposely forcing it over the edge. Thoughts on that one? Well, I don't know about that. There's a lot of people heavily leveraged in this market that uh, wouldn't want it to go that way. However, I mean, we've seen some pretty significant corrections, I'd argue, already in the major markets in terms of the conspiracy side of things. Ah, I'm not going to go too deep into that. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I don't agree because when you look at Canada's GDP, I think Canada's GDP is kind of funny how they, they break it out. So they say real estate and rentals are 13%, which is the largest portion. Then manufacturing is 9%. Oil and gas and mining is 7.5%. Finance and insurance is 7.5%. And construction is 7%. But I think, I think, like, if you think about it, construction, I bet you of that 7%, probably five of it applies to real estate. Finance and insurance, probably three and a half to 4% of it applies to real estate. And even manufacturing, because I'm like, I feel like a lot of the shit that we manufacture is for construction. Yeah. Wood and Wood, lumber, exactly. Lumber. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you, Neil. It'd be very interesting to see what component of each of those is related to real estate, because I bet you it is very high. Which, back to your point, is if they force a crash, they're playing with like 35% of our GDP. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Canada's too highly leveraged. For me to buy into this conspiracy <laughs> theory. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. Okay, fine. Uh, and you're going to stand by no rate hike? No rate hike. When this gets released and someone hears this, they'll, they'll be able to fact check us. Yeah, exactly. We're just before the September 6th rate announcement, and I am predicting no rate hike. Uh, Neil? I'm nervous. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I think no rate hike. I only had a little bit of concern because I hate how they're just how the boc saw was like you never know and that's like their new thing now because they had said they weren't going to do it and then they did another rate hike and everyone was like yo what the hell you guys literally just said you weren't going to do this and so now they have this like mindset of like it may not be over and so to me i'm just like what does that mean keeping you on your toes neil I and which I guess is the smartest thing because last time they said it was over and people remember it was funny this would have been midsummer and they said they were done with the rate hikes and the market just like 
all right, we're good to go. Everyone's happy yeah. at like a four six nine rate, five five point four nine rate. Like they were good to go on those fixed terms, and off we went. Yeah. And so I think maybe it's in an interest of trying to, like I think they're almost realizing in some sense part of cooling the market isn't just rates; it's talking about potentially raising them. Like, like I am going to punish you if you guys bid one hundred and fifty k over on that house that's not worth eight hundred. Yeah. Yeah, they want that bug to be in people's ear so they think twice about it, you know, potentially hitting the peak of the rate hikes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anyways, what's going on? I kind of jumped into it because I was getting all revved up and we were chatting. I'm like, we need to hit record here because we're freaking out. But I'm freaking out. <laughs> You're freaking out. You're uh, negative Nancy. I'm uh, optimist uh, Ollie, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a yeah. better way to put it. But uh <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back on track here, Neil. Um, I'm calling you Ollie moving forward. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Just painted myself into a corner on that one, didn't I? <laughs> okay, so today we're going to touch on... It's going to be focused on the investor perspective today, okay? So yeah. uh, investing in private mortgages and how you can generate income through private lending, okay? So we'll talk about a multitude of different factors. Neil, this is kind of your specialty with our business model, although both of you kind of spend a good amount of our time on this. Yeah. Yeah. So number one way, perhaps the most obvious is just to lend your own money. Okay. Yeah. So you've got savings and what do you need if you've got, say you've got a million dollars to play with. So what do you need? So one, you need opportunities to lend on. So you need loan opportunities to be coming in. Yep. And ideally in, you know, a regular fashion in a pipeline that's coming in for you to review. So you don't have to Settle on the ones that come in the door. You have a multitude of different opportunities to review, and you can kind of select the ones that are best suited for your your strategy. Secondly, you ideally have an underwriting procedure or underwriting criteria in place that allows you to choose the optimal deals to lend on to ensure your capital is secure and that you're going to be able to recoup that down the road, six, 12 months down the road. A couple other things here, and feel free to jump in anytime, Neil, but yeah. Legal counsel and basically a mortgage contract you require to underwrite these deals and provide to the client to sign off on that basically gives you that security over their property. Of course, capital, we touched on that, but this is kind of under the assumption that you have that capital readily available. And last but not least, depending on the province you are in in Canada, you require some form of licensing as well. And with us in Nova Scotia, well, we're licensed across Atlantic Canada, but Nova Scotia specifically is through the Mortgage Regulations Act of Nova Scotia that came into effect, I believe, in 2021. Yeah. And you need an enforcer when people don't pay so that you can get your payments back. Yeah. Ideally, someone big and burly that can break legs. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah. Ideally, you don't have to use that enforcer too often if you're following... uh, the steps the the proper way and not uh lending on uh we go back to step step two of underwriting (laughs) you do good in there you shouldn't require the enforcer you got it you got it you're talking about from the perspective of someone establishing a company because does an individual need like anything special to lend directly on a property so i think you can lend up to five loans without any sort of licensing that's my understanding and then beyond that you actually have to have a mortgage lender's license at least in nova scotia that's my understanding okay okay so a mortgage broker wouldn't automatically have a mortgage lender's license 
So no, they're two separate licenses. So under yeah. the same act, the mortgage broker license came through as well, which is a pretty substantive license procedure that they have to go through to be licensed in Nova Scotia. You do have to go through some testing, and I believe you require a certain amount of years of service before you can actually have that mortgage broker title or principal mortgage broker title. And until you have that, you can get licensed, but you're basically considered an associate mortgage broker and have to work under a licensed mortgage broker during that time frame. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, getting associate isn't too difficult, but getting your actual brokers is a whole different animal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And just kind of on that same note of lending your own money, another way to generate capital is to lend others money, which we are doing with our business, Keystone Capital. And obviously, the main function of this is raising capital and providing a solid investment opportunity to investors. So Neil, why don't you uh, take us in a bit more depth there on uh, lending others money? Yeah, well, I might touch back first on an individual lending direct for a sec. Just to talk about that before, like what it looks like, like you said, like lending others. So if you're, if we're looking at it as you're lending your own money to what Ryan said, you have to be able to do all that due diligence. And it's very difficult if you're not experienced in those, those areas. I'm not saying this as a pitch, but for some brokers, it makes a lot of sense because they see a lot of volume of deals. And so they can pick and choose and they have a lot of familiarity. I think the other difficulty, and I was chatting with some people recently about this is even though you might be able to go out and get a great rate and you get all the rate. You do run all the risk on a single single deal, so your money could be tied. And there's a high likelihood of renewals and, and timelines changing because that's the world of real estate. Like Timelines are constantly fluctuating. And then additionally, one thing that the people I was speaking with yesterday were, were facing was that, yes, they would make a really high return, but then there was down periods, three, six, seven months where they couldn't find another opportunity and so then you have to take your, your rate that you made for the 13 months and you got to blend it over 20. And it very quickly starts to diminish, diminish the return. But again, if you can, as an individual, keep it comfortably turning over with really strong applicants, at that point, you probably should look at also taking on other people's money, maybe launching a business because you have a very solid revenue stream there. But into what, to what Ryan said there, so then moving over to what we do, which is, is lending technically other people's money, it's kind of a win for both parties because... Those investors get a stabilized return that's probably higher than the standard return that they would get from a bond or a GIC, which to quickly touch on that, a GIC is effectively doing that same thing for big banks, right? They're, they're saying we can offer you X rate because we can go out and relend and work your money and make a higher rate of return. Yep. And so for us, that's what we end up doing is we, we have investors who invest into our pool, into our business, and we're able to offer them X rate. And it's, that's because we can then relend that money out and we can make the spread. Again, if you're looking at one deal for $100,000, you're like, okay, two points or maybe three points of spread. It's only three grand. I'm taking on all of this risk. It's not super exciting. And so it's, it's not something that you're doing for one or two small little deals. If you're going to consider doing this as a fund, you're going to want to have multiple deals out there. So you're going to have consistent flow in the event of someone missing a payment or having default, as well as to actually make it worth your while to take on the risk, right? And so... We take on a, a range of investment sizes and we pay a range of returns based on the investment size. That's a guaranteed return for them, which gives takes away all of kind of the stress and we're, we're an intermediate. And then it allows us to go out and make the spread, make some fees on that money. And again, it's, it's a much more scalable business. I guess, again, if, if you have $100 million sitting in a bank account that's not doing anything, maybe you can scale pretty aggressively on your own. 
but that's oftentimes not the case. So it, it's, you can go fast alone, go, go far together. It's the same concept with starting a fund like this. And so that's what we do. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense for both parties. Yeah, great summary there, Neil. And I'd say, you know, just back to the fee portion, that's really how us as the lender generate revenue. Yeah. Basically, by holding these loans on our books and servicing these loans, we charge these lender fees. And the interest portion would be mostly allocated to our investors, depending on that, how that shakes out. And then we manage through the life cycle of the loan from there, through the ups and downs and any potential legal requirements or fees or chasing NSF fees or anything like that would be on us as the manager and we earn the fees as a revenue generator there. It's almost, you look at it a million different ways, but in some sense, it's almost like we provide an insurance policy to an investor where it's like the average rate is 4% on defaults, we'll say. And if you go out by yourself and you invest in one, you run the risk of potentially getting that one. And then you'll be losing loads of money. But if you invest across 100 of them, the likelihood goes way down. And we build in a factor to cover the cost of those four that go awry. 100%. Would you rather make 12% and have a 25% chance of default? Or would you rather make 9% and have a 2 to 3% chance of default, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, some might say they want to take the higher risk play, but, you know... <laughs> If you're looking to diversify and, you know, we diversify across our pool, which is across four different provinces. So ideally, um, you know, we can't say we're completely immune to market volatility, but, you know, the fact that we are geographically diversified in a market that, you know, doesn't appear to have a ton of downside, we like to think it's a very secure investment for our investor partners. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. It, I think again, so it's a win on both parties. I'm not just saying that being in the game i just also it's there's a consideration of the amount of work that's in, involved as well and so when you value your time on administering the loans managing the loans chase them down like you said like that's that's also has a, a time value and so yeah you might make an extra couple percentage points that might be a few thousand dollars and you're like wait a second if i have to do all of this work is that worth it to me for a few thousand bucks would i rather have that free time and alleviation of stress for that that bit of money and it's funny. I mean, we have we have investors now that are considering joining us or have joined us that did private mortgages themselves. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I made 17% on that deal, but the timelines were screwed. I was chasing the guy down and I didn't sleep comfortably at night. Yep. Didn't pay out what I wanted it to. It wasn't a passive investment opportunity. It took me a lot of, like you said, Neil, just going through and dealing with the client. So we take that burden off of our investors. Yes, exactly. And then again, that, that replacement concept, like this was his thing. It was like, now I finally had the money coming in. I didn't know for sure if I was going to come in because it's been delayed six times. So I couldn't commit it anywhere else. And I don't have a comfortable deal that I want to re-engage in. So it's going to now sit and that's not going to have any value for me. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about uh, lending your own money. We talked about lending others money. Another way to earn revenue in this business is to actually service the loans. And I touched on this a little bit already, Neil, but application fees, lender fees that we touched on already, NSF fees, not ideal when you're chasing down payments that are missed, but you know you charge an additional fee on top of that when it is missed. And these fees I love, discharge fees. So that means the loan has been successfully paid out. There's a small discharge fee on the back end for the client to pay out. 
Otherwise, the loan's fully open. We don't charge interest penalties like that in the vast majority of our mortgages. But these are a couple other avenues for earning revenue by servicing the loans. Yep. I don't have as much experience with that, but yep. Yep. So those are kind of the main three buckets I wanted to cover here, Neil. So basically, just to kind of wrap it up and summarize, if you're getting into this business, you want to basically determine your risk profile. If you want to go, you know, like Neil said, direct private lending where you're doing the odd deal and you're meeting, you know, you're going lending direct to a particular client, you can do that. Or you can basically let us do it and invest in a pool of different mortgages, geographically diversified, diversified across several different loan types as well. And rest easy knowing that you have, you know, collateral backing all of the loans that we put out and your investment and and interest stays safe uh, as a result. Yeah, 100%. I'm just now considering, like, not to make it a complete pitch, because obviously, we think it's great. And it's where we're putting our capital as as we have it. I'm trying to think like, what other alternatives I know, again, GICs and bonds, like they're very high right now. They're not still nearly what you're going to make on a return in this marketplace. What other considerations would you think for someone that would have for investing their capital if they wanted to get exposure in this way? I guess in the real estate world, it's like REITs. So you'd have a yep. dividend coming from that. Those can do well. Again, they're usually very slow moving. And they right now with high interest rates, they're very sensitive to downward pressure. Yep. I don't know. And then the the other alternative is, I guess, actually owning the project owning yourself yeah, or exactly. owning the real estate directly, which is, yep. again, a, a very much an active business and a very different very different thing. So that's really, it's more than an investment. It becomes a huge, huge burden. And yes, you can, there's lots of upside available to it a lot of time, but it's not at all something that you're going to be able to just park. Yeah, absolutely, Neil. And, and I think to your point, you know, owning the real estate, as you would know well, is certainly not a passive investment opportunity. I'd say REITs are probably the closest comparable. Yeah. And, you know, REITs are nice. I have, a, I have some small investments in REITs as well mostly lost money on them in the past couple of years, but that's okay. <laughs> they do generate a nice dividend, which yeah. is great, but you're susceptible to market volatility again as well, right? Where investing in private lending is like a true fixed income opportunity. We essentially say your rate of return is going to be X and we're going to pay you this in monthly interest installments. And, yeah. and that's it. And if there's any downside, we eat that out of our margin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, just to quickly wrap up here, Neil, you know, how can potential investors access capital? Of course, there's, you know, leveraging your own savings. If it's not working for you, great investment opportunity. Selling potential assets if you're not performing, whether that's stocks or real estate as well, you know, potentially borrowing or pooling money with some friends or family who are interested in this investment opportunity. And maybe less so in today's market, but one that's historically been really good is leveraging your home equity. You know, yeah. when rates were were lower, a lot of people did this where they could borrow the money against their home at three and four percent rate and then reinvest it at, you know, nine, ten percent and earn a significant spread on a monthly basis where you're actually not only paying the interest on your on your home line, but you're actually paying that off and then, you know, generating true profit. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's to that point, actually, and this is a conversation I've been having with a lot of investors right now, is because you can't get the loan to value on your real estate assets that you want, oftentimes you're leaving in massive equity portions. And so it's something to consider. If you think about it and you say, hey, I have a duplex. I'm, I'm dealing with this right now. I have a duplex and I have $400,000 tied up in this. So when I consider my cash flow, my profit works out to be 500 bucks a month. I'm making six grand. 
he's making 1.5% on his $400,000. Right now, we can't even bank on, on appreciation being strong, but even when you apply the 3% appreciation to it, he's making an extra 18 grand. Now he's making around 24,000. So even assuming appreciation, kind of ignoring maintenance, but ignoring the potential of it not going up and including the cash flow from the rent, he's still only making 6%. And that's not because the real estate's not a good investment, but he can't pull his equity out of the property. At this point, they're not allowing him to make to do a refi because of where the rates are at. And so he's it's again, it's, he's effectively looking at it as a $400,000 investment. And so if he sells it, he's now going to have that 400 grand. He can go and invest in a fund and, and make 8 to 10%. And that will pay out a lot more. And it might be an interim thing for him for the next two to three years and eventually look at reinvesting into another another project or whatever it may be. But I think that's a consideration for a lot of people in today's marketplace is it's not easy to get cash from your equity. And so having tons and tons of equity as great as it is, it dilutes your return. Like yep. start looking at your returns. Like you might have projected when you buy it, like, yep, yeah, when I'm all said and done, I make with real estate, oftentimes you're between probably 10 to 15% because once you put in your appreciation, your cash flow and your mortgage pay down, now you're probably mortgage pay down is probably limited if your rate's gone up. Or if it's going, if it hasn't gone up, that means you have a, probably a very large equity position. And so oftentimes you're probably under a rent controlled market. So that's also very controlled. And your expenses have grown, I would say, likely at a, outpacing the growth of your income. And so again, try to take some time to look at those things. And if your marketplace is still strong where you are and you're like, oh, maybe it makes more sense, it might actually make sense to make a swap, do an interim investment like this and, and do it out. And again, I'm not trying to, to sales pitch it. I just, I'm seeing this now across the board where I have a lot of clients where for the last five years, we've been able to pull out the equity. There's still cash flow and things are, have run up and it's been, it's been really good because they're able to be like, well, I only have 100K in this house. It's worth 600 grand or whatever it may be. I guess it'd be 120K in the $600,000 house. And so then when you look at it, you're like, oh, like you're making 24,000, you're actually making 20% on your money. Like that, that makes a ton of sense. Yep. Right. But now or they're leaving it all in there. It's, it's not nearly as, as interesting. Yeah. And I mean, Neil, you and I are both very passionate about this industry and passionate about the investment opportunity and the long-term runway there is here as well. So hopefully that's come across in this episode. But um, <laughs> if anybody is interested in uh, in learning more, I mean, you can reach out to Neil or I anytime. We'll leave our, uh, our socials and uh, our website as well in the show notes. But uh, I think that kind of covers where we wanted to go with today, eh, Neil? 100%. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Hey guys, it's Neil Andrino, your co-host and your co-founder at Keystone Capital and Director of Investor Relations. I'm also a real estate agent, real estate investor, and business owner. And your co-host here, Ryan McNeil. I'm the co-founder and president of Keystone Capital Group. Keystone Capital Group is licensed under the Mortgage Regulations Act of Nova Scotia, license number 3000549, and through FCMB, license number 88799. And keep in mind, the views of this podcast are for informational purposes only and is not financial advice.